0: This is a Mr. Thrive Media Production. You have stumbled upon Mr. Thrive Stars of Tomorrow, where together we will discover emerging artist,
1: Shelly Davis,
0: a storyteller. I am so excited to have you here. You know, a lot of people know our our relation, but I need to preface this interview by saying that I met her two minutes ago. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yep, just pick me
1: up on the side of the street. Yeah,
0: you know, she looked... The
1: people of Kantara.
0: She seemed cool. The people of Kantara. they're a mystical people. And so I just drove on by and I went for it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Asked, hey, do you do anything exciting?
0: Right, right. Are you an
1: artist? (laughs) And and
0: you said, uh, yeah. Seemed pretty convincing, so I was like, okay, (laughs) let's bring her on. Let's do it. No, but the reality is, I've known you for quite some time, and I met you through Izzy Mm -hmm. and I'm just curious what that first time was like because it's it's kind of a funny experience
1: well the first time I met you and your best friend Josh was like two days into moving my um, in moving into my apartment in LA I just uh, finished working on a, a documentary and basically just flew directly from the film in Colorado to LA to drop off all my gear and whatnot and my roommate was like hey I'm going to this like weird Korean spa with these guys that I'm friends with. Do you want to come? And I'm like, no, I'm okay. I don't know if I need to do that. And he's like, no, you won't see anybody naked, so it's fine. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, but no, it's okay. It's okay. I'll see you guys later.
0: That's a big lie, by the way. But anyway, go on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, everyone at this Korean spa, we spa, just a shout out for them. We spa's
0: great. Yeah, yeah, people
1: do get naked. So.
0: They, not sponsored, but oh my yeah. God, what a great spa. Go yeah. check it out. It's in K-Town. Amazing. <laughs> Continue, show
1: You guys came back from your like lovely spa day. It
0: was lovely, um, indeed.
1: So LA, and at the time I'm thinking, wow, what the freak am I doing here? Like, what? I'm friends with these guys that go to a spa? Like, this is so LA. <laughs> and they come into my apartment, and... And I come out of my, like, empty bedroom because I have no furniture yet. And I introduce myself. I'm like, hi, I'm Shelly. And they're like, what's up? Okay, let's build some furniture. And so we're building my roommate Izzy's furniture.
0: Right, because he's a very, very handy person.
1: No, he's not. No, he's not. But that's a nice thing to say nonetheless. I was
0: kidding. Being totally Uh, facetious.
1: (laughs) And so basically it's really like Chaz, like you, you know, you're like... Under the bed. And it's like Josh sitting there supervising, me like attempting to help, but really Izzy telling me to stop trying to help. And you and Izzy trying to build this bed, and it takes you way longer than it should. Um, and that's not a discredit to you. That's more to discredit to Izzy.
0: I was about to say, I think I did a pretty good job in his bed. No, it's still standing. It's he hasn't fallen standing. through his bed frame yet, so. It's
1: true. <laughs> um, yeah, and then we went, um, uh, we went to Santa Monica Pier, because I'd never been before. Right. And that was really, really fun. And then you and, um, Izzy were trying to, like, push me to get to know Josh.
0: Right, so, because we originally... We're reading the situation in a different way, yes. and so my thought was, I'm gonna hook up my best friend Josh with this beautiful woman Shelly, and let's see if <laughs> let's see if anything happens. Like, so so Izzy and I were standing back, we were purposely like stepping a little bit behind, just so that way Shelly and Josh could talk. But the reality was that Shelly and I had a thing.
1: Um, we didn't have a thing. We just Not had more thing. in common. We had
0: more in common. And
1: yeah. I didn't know anything about you, first there, of all. There was a bigger all spark I, all, between yeah. us. Yeah. All I knew was that, like, you were into sound and so was I. And I was like, oh, my God, I got to be, like, I got to be on top of my stuff. I have to, like, make it seem like I know what I'm doing.
0: Which is the first thing I thought when I met you, too. Because I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, when I tell her I, I use a Zoom AF and Zoom recorder to, to be on film sets, I think she's going to judge me because <laughs> I didn't say sound devices. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I was just like, I need to make it seem like I know what I'm doing. And I was like, I'm coming off this film, so that'll seem, pro- like, super professional. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm impressive.
0: It sold me. And, totally and, did.
1: And not that Josh isn't a nice guy, because he really is. He's a sweetheart.
0: He's a fantastic dude.
1: But he's great as a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Love him, but not meant to be. So that's kind of how we met. And then things just kind of, like, progressed from there. Um, and and then we started dating at the, like, end of August, like, beginning of September. Yeah. And like the rest is history because we're still together.
0: Well, I'm glad you friend zoned the right person, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: no, but it's been absolutely fantastic since, and and since then, I've I've gotten to know you you so much more on a deeper level to the point where I'm I'm understanding that. And I mentioned this in the last episode of season one of my podcast when I was being interviewed on my very own show, but I mentioned that. You're the kind of person if you want it, you take it. You make your own opportunities. And there's been a whole entire life that you have lived up until this point that has pretty much led you here and and you're on a path to to success. Aww. So, being said, let's let's talk about that. Where where does your story begin? Where does the story of Shelley Davis begin?
1: Um, well, I guess naturally it starts with like being born in Orlando, Florida.
0: Orlando, Florida.
1: Orlando.
0: What? Right, but but every time... Okay, but I, I hear your Florida come out when you when you say certain things. Yeah. So you say Florida.
1: Florida. That's not a Florida thing. That's okay. a New York thing. O- okay. That's where my grandparents, who were born in Brooklyn, and my mom and my dad being born in Brooklyn as well.
0: Okay, so what's a Florida accent then? Do, Florida, do Floridians no, have accents?
1: Flo- yeah, Floridians don't really have accents. And is
0: that what the... Florida people are called as Floridians? Because I think That's I just correct. made that up. That, no, I made correct. The, I didn't make that up.
1: Yes, Floridian. Oh, wow. Okay,
0: so it makes yeah. sense. Perfect.
1: No, you're good. Okay, cool. It's like when you're from California, you're a Californian, right?
0: That is true. I am a Californian, born so, and raised. Yep. yeah. Yep. Yes. Absolutely.
1: So, I was born in Orlando, Florida.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and I lived there most of my life. I lived a little portion of the time in Tampa, but most of my life I lived in Orlando because my dad worked for Disney. And I feel like that was a big part of like my childhood and how i kind of got my start and just like went to disney every single weekend I mean,
0: it sounds like a perfect childhood to me
1: oh yeah <laughs> yeah um it gets old after a while sure. i think it soured my like appreciation for it for a good time until like now as an adult i'm like oh disney i love it again right um so was
0: that does that mean there was a phase where you just kept disney as far away yeah i mean possible? i always like
1: disney films like Anyone who's like, I hate Disney films, well, we might have some disagreements. Sure. Um, I mean, I'm not saying every film is the best from Disney by any means, but there are some quality films that come out of that, like, company.
0: Oh, Always. huge. They're so influential. Yeah. Disney's phenomenal. Um, yeah.
1: And I also, like, my dad was working for Disney during a time when Disney still had all of their animation studios in Orlando. And so I got to tour them, and I was there all the time, and I really got to see the behind the scenes when I was a little kid that I think now I, like... I, I really admire and I wish I would have taken more advantage of, but I was too young to really right. appreciate it for what it was.
0: Because when we're at that age, we don't understand that Yeah. you of all people would not really get the chance to see that if you had a different father, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah. So totally. you had you had
0: a privilege yes. that you were kind of born into. Yes. And that's yeah. pretty amazing. To, I mean, at least yeah. you got to experience it, it. It was
1: definitely hard, though, because my dad was working all the time. He worked like sometimes like 16 hour days and he would still have to come in on the weekends and he wasn't working in the park he was working on like the creation of like the disney vacation club website Mm -hmm. and and like making it run and be functional which was like a big stepping stone for like disney's company in general so my dad was just super busy and i didn't really see him a lot so spent a lot of time with my mom
2: right um
1: and not that my dad wasn't a part of my life because he 100% was right um he was just very busy and had to do a really good job of time management. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my mom um, is also an artist, um, and she's now an art educator as well, um, and currently pursuing her PhD in art education at University of North Texas, which is pretty awesome. That is I'm pretty amazing. really freaking proud of her. Go, Cindy. Um, yes, go, Cindy. <laughs> um, she's awesome, and I love her, and she inspires me. And when I was a kid you know, I think also it, I don't want to say it tainted, but it kind of made me like, just like super not interested in art or I love to draw, but I was never good as my mom. And so I was always like, oh, well, I'm not good at this. Or like, oh, I'm not, I can't do that because my mom's way better at it. And she does ceramics. She does painting. She's great at drawing. She's amazing at wood shop. Like she's got all of these amazing talents that I'm like, I'm not so skilled at. <laughs> right. And it made me think that art were, was just those things. And that's not really her fault. That's from like the reality of just like the education system in Florida. They didn't really expand upon it. That art is a lot more and includes a lot more mediums. and 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 so I don't blame my mom at all. But I think I took it for granted. And I wish I would have taken more advantage of like all of my mom's talents. Because now as an adult, I'm truly inspired by like what kind of stuff she makes and along with my mom i have a younger brother and he helped kind of shape my my childhood too of course that's
0: maximilian
1: yes max (laughs) yes (laughs) maxwell he uh he's my younger brother we're like a year and a half apart so um we're very close and we still keep in touch he lives in texas now and i live here Mm -hmm. in in los angeles and um the two of us i I guess like some of the things that we always did together was like dance and swim team, and I think in some ways dance was like my first real experimenting, like like experience experimenting with storytelling, and um, because when you think about dance and you see a ballet, for example, I mean like that's a performance of a story, and when you're a kid, you don't necessarily process that when you're doing your performance at the end of the year, or you're doing the Nutcracker. You're not really thinking that you're telling a story but when you sit in the audience and you watch it it's a story and you know I I I only really realized that I think in college because my best friend is uh, one of my best friends is a professional dancer and a dance teacher and she talks about all the time how when she teaches her little babies to wiggle as she calls it that they're telling a story
0: It's such a good slogan I love I that. know to get a bigger picture here it seems like your immediate family, is a beautiful blend of creatives. Does your extended family also have that creative energy flowing through it as well?
1: I mean, I, I mean, like my grandma paints.
0: Your grandma paints?
1: Yeah, she's so cute. I love it. <laughs> and, and you know, I think also part of, like, why I identify as, like, a storyteller um, is truly, I think, just from, like, growing up and having my grandfather and my grandma tell these amazing stories. Sometimes they run on a little too long, you know, as every story does sometimes. <laughs> But there was such love and passion in them, and I felt like I was sitting right next to them in this memory in time, this, like, point in time where I, I, like, I feel like I can, I have, like, these actual memories that are my grandparents' memories from these stories that they've told because they're so vivid and so articulate. You know, they would just tell these amazing stories of, like, life living in New York, and it made me want to, you know, be able to tell stories like that when I was older, but also made me want to live in a big city. Um, and, and now I do, of course. Right. Yeah. But and you, I,
0: You've always been a big city person.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I went to school in Chicago. And we'll get to that. Yes, we'll yep. get to that. We'll get to um, that. And now we live in LA. <laughs> um, but I lived in the suburbs and Orlando, not hating on it. It's a great place to visit. Now when I go back, I'm like, oh, I love it here. Mm-hmm. But, and it wasn't a bad place to grow up. Like, I can't really say that it was a bad place because it wasn't. And my parents worked really, really hard. We lived in a middle-class income house. Like, I was very fortunate. I had really... I lived in a really nice neighborhood. I went to really great schools, like, public schools. I had really good friends. Um, I mean, you know, everyone has their troubles with bullying and, and like, just struggles in school and whatnot. But, I mean, if you look at the overall picture, like... It was a nice place to grow up. It's just, it wasn't the place I wanted to live the rest of my life. When I left, a lot of people were like, I've never met anybody from Florida. Mm-hmm. How how, how extraordinary. And I'm like, what? Florida? You think that's cool? Well, fantastic. <laughs> well, great. Because well, no one else does. <laughs> well, since since
0: dating you, you've told me some very interesting facts about Florida that since you've told me, it's made me not want to visit Florida more. But what are some of those facts?
1: (laughs) Um, It's humid all the time. Mm, Yummy. Um, Like to the point where like you walk outside and you're like, I is sticky. (laughs) Like that's it. That's the feeling is just I'm sticky. Right. And it's it's awful. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just tourists everywhere that drive. Like, I mean, it's people who shouldn't be driving um, that are driving in Orlando. So it's really hard to learn how to drive there. And um, there are iguanas everywhere if you're in, the like, southern Florida. They're just chilling. They're just bathing in the most inconvenient places.
0: Iguanas are pretty cool. Yeah. Until they whip like you pests. with their tail. Like,
1: in south Florida, like, yeah. they're seen as a pest. It's yeah. like in New York when you see a rat, you're like, Ew! Okay, that's what people are like it's in Miami well, but that's with iguanas. What, but
0: that's what, they had that problem in Southern Florida where there was just such a high population, yeah. and I think it's still going it's on. It's still going on where they where the government just said, "Yeah, go ahead, kill them, free range." Yeah. Like, why would I care?
1: Yeah,
0: you know, and, <laughs> yay, and, Florida. It's just kind of an ugly thing because these are you know beautiful yeah. creatures, but they do like populate like rodents. So there's yeah. there's not really a perfect solution to it. It's a pretty totally. ugly thing if you haven't checked it out.
1: Yeah, and then. Um, there's sharks everywhere off the coast. If you ever go to Florida and you're like, let's go to the beach, just remember there are sharks there (laughs) and I'm not talking about the little baby ones. I'm not saying a great white, but there are hammerhead sharks that are populated all around, especially the East coast. They're all along the coast. It's one of the highest populations in the world. And I'm not hating on sharks. We're the ones swimming in their home. We're the ones invading their home. Imagine a shark coming into your house and being like, I'm going to hang out here. Like, would you want that? No. And that's technically what humans are doing. And a lot of humans also provoke them. And that's why so many people, not so many people, more sharks die every year than people. So mm-hmm. like there's, and, and most like average is 10 people a year die from a shark attack. I don't know. <laughs> what else? There's alligators. There's alligators. Sometimes alligators are just chilling on the side of the highway.
0: Well, not, not to mention the ridiculous rules.
1: Oh, Some of the ridiculous oh rules
0: that are put there as placeholders. I totally forgot. What, oh what, what is it? Like you can't you can't park you can't, your elephant? Like,
1: yeah, you can't shower naked in like one of the cities in Florida.
0: Right, right. But like
1: what else do you do?
0: A woman, woman can't break plates past 9 p.m. <laughs> yes. or something like that.
1: Yes. <laughs> I remember reading that like over the phone with my best friend Brooke and you and the two of us are like – what? Yeah, it's. I'm sorry. What kind is, of rule? It,
0: it's kind of jaw dropping that someone had to go through a specific scenario, <laughs> and and really think that deep into it to write it on that yeah. surface of a piece of parchment totally. to make that a law. Totally. Not to mention all the people who had to vote to let it in as a law.
1: Yeah, it's an absolutely absurd place. <laughs> um, you know, I. You know, i really. I still identify as a Florida girl, mm-hmm. but. I would not move back there and that's not to hate on anybody who, would, who wants to live there because I support it. Yeah. I just uh, it's not for me
0: but 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 Florida does sound yeah. fun though. I mean it sounds like you live you had a pretty active youth. Yeah. And you did sports, you said too.
1: Yeah, my brother and I you know we did dance and then we also did swim team. you know everyone plays soccer and things like that. but swim team was like my big thing until mm-hmm. I hit high school and then I switched over into doing diving. Because I always really wanted to do that. And finally, I, like, tricked my dad into letting me try it. And then I was like, I'm going to do this. (laughs) Um, And that was a big challenge for me doing diving, I think. Um, It was very hard. But, you know, it made me realize, like, that statement you made earlier about me, that if I want something, I'm going to do everything in my power to make it happen. And I tried very, very hard. I was like, I want to go to college and dive. I need to be as good as I can be. And, well, when you're competing against a bunch of ex-gymnasts and you're a swimmer, that's really hard. (laughs) So it was definitely challenging, but, you know, I eventually, like, pursued going to Brandeis University, um, doing diving. And I did get recruited and everything worked out. um, And then I ended up changing my mind, long story short. Um, And I realized that, you know, diving's great, but that's not my career, No. That I I was so determined to find, my parents took me on this amazing road trip for like two weeks on all of these colleges and I was like, the school has to have a science program and environmental science and it needs to have a film program and then it needs to have diving. Otherwise, I won't go there. Right. Because I couldn't decide if I wanted to do something in environmental sciences or film and I really wanted to dive. And then I realized that that wasn't what I wanted by the middle of my senior year and... I applied to a bunch of art schools and, like, liberal arts schools. And I was like, I think I just want a school that lets me try everything because I don't know what I want. And I eventually pinned school against school and was like, okay, who's going to give me the most money? Because I got into every school I applied to. Which, with
0: scholarships. With scholarships, yes. yes.
1: Um, which is
0: which is a pretty great...
1: Yeah, I was quite fortunate. Yeah, um, that's a not happen. Fortune. And considering the fact that I never thought I'd even get into college and I had good grades, just... Where I'm from, they give you the expectation that if you don't have straight A's, not my parents, but my the schools I went to, that if you didn't have straight A's, you wouldn't get into college, which is false, and everyone knows it.
0: Very false. As a matter of fact, I, I even had you know self esteem issues going into co- like, but right before getting into college, I genuinely didn't think I was gonna make it into college yeah. because of the like, like the like the stigma around like totally. getting a B. Yeah. Like it's just a B. Yeah, like it's my it's my and low three so GPA. Hard. Yeah,
1: and if you and you work so hard just to get that grade, right? Like I would I would lose so much sleep and I'd cry so much trying so hard because I was juggling playing tennis and diving and then like taking driving my brother around and like just like being a high schooler, and I tried so hard and it just like I couldn't I couldn't be perfect. It and was
0: exhausting for it you. It was so
1: exhausting, no. but you know all of that made me who I am today and helped me get to where I am today along with like just I think the classes that I took, I took the right classes and that put me in the right position to like teach me a lot of life lessons. I was really insecure for most of my life and you know sometimes I still struggle with it. I think I'm quite confident now but that's from like years of therapy (laughs) and just like really working on myself and acknowledging that like I have the ability to be successful, but the only thing that's holding me back is me. And I think that's also a really hard thing to admit. It's a lot easier to blame everything else in the world. And I never really blamed other people. That wasn't really my coping. I would just blame all of the other scenarios that were possible of why something wouldn't work out or why, like, it didn't happen. And I realized that, you know, it's not necessarily my fault, but I also had to, like, give myself a break. Like... I think that was also my biggest challenge is that I am my own worst enemy when it comes to art making or just like being a human being. I'm always like, I could have been better. And then I have to remind myself, I'm like, hold on. Like, did I do everything I could? Is the answer yes or is the answer no? If the answer is no, okay. That feeling of man, I messed up is valid. If I really put in my all and I'm doing the best I can, then the answer is not like, it's my fault. It's it's just the reality of the situation and beating myself up isn't gonna change anything
0: yeah and that's that's a lesson that I know it's going to be reoccurring in my personal life I think it's just reoccurring in everyone's life and the, and the reality is is that we we do try to live our lives with this 70 pound weight on our back and that weight always says it's all up to me mm-hmm. but the reality is that not everything is up to you totally you know whether that's whether that's whether, you're, whether the decision to move you forward is in someone else's hands and, mm-hmm. or, or, or even just some higher power. You know, mm-hmm. Whatever authority figure is just not able to uh, grant you right off the bat what you want. You know, and that's just so frustrating, but that's just a part 100%. of life. 100%. Are you a patient person?
1: Because um, I'm not. <laughs> I know you're not. <laughs> um, I can be. Right. But I think that sometimes it's circumstance based of what I'm doing. But I think when it comes to my career, I don't want to peak at 23, 24, 25. Hell I want to no. peak when I'm like 40. Yeah. And I'm like living it. Yeah. And like I'm I'm doing it. And I'm being a documentary filmmaker and I'm a photographer and I'm an author and I'm a Foley artist and I'm all the things that I dream of being and I'm an academic and I'm a professor and I'm... Working at a university, like, although I have started working at a university, but, right. you know, I'm I'm in the career path that I want to be on. Then I, I don't want to be that now. I mean, I'm working towards that path, but I don't want it to happen now. I mean, what am I going to do the rest of my life? It already happens. All of my goals. That's the point of a goal. It's not necessarily that it means it needs to be unattainable, but it needs to be like when you're talking about career or life goals, you should have, you know, goals that are spanned throughout your whole life it shouldn't be something that you attain by the time you're 30. I think, first of all, it's unrealistic, but also it's kind of boring. It also means that you don't appreciate what's in front of you. You don't appreciate all of the opportunities that you're getting in that moment. And I never thought four years ago that I would be in Los Angeles doing what I'm doing right now.
0: Where'd you think you were going to be?
1: Um, I, you know, I don't really know. I had a really hard, I like, I was like college, 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 And I was like, I need to get my master's right away after college. Like, I need to get it over with. So maybe I I thought I would be getting my master's currently. Um, And I think I thought that all throughout college. But nonetheless, that's not what I'm doing now. Um, (laughs) But in the future, it will be happening 100% because it's one of my next steps. I thought I would be in my master's right now at, like, the age that I'm at. But that's not a bad thing, what I'm doing now, because I actually prefer it.
0: I, I think that all these things that you've mentioned will absolutely lead you in that path that you're looking for. But to backtrack a little bit, how did you get into media and film?
1: That's a great question. I think truly it started with when I was in middle school. You know how like every traditional middle school has that like TV news and the cool kids are a part of it. Or at least where I'm from, the cool kids were a part of it. And I was like, I need to be in that. Not because I was a cool kid, because I was dorky and had (laughs) round glasses and braces and was (laughs) awkward as heck. Um... But more of, I just, I was like, I think I could be good at that. And so I auditioned, and then the teacher was like, yeah, let's take on this, like, nerdy little girl. Okay, she could be helpful. We won't put her on camera. We'll keep her behind the scenes, though. <laughs> but They the,
0: didn't say that to,
2: to your no, face. No, oh, but that's okay. how it felt. Okay, okay. Um,
1: That's definitely how it felt, yeah. that only the pretty girls and the pretty boys were on camera, and that's fine. Because in reality, it set me up for the stage that I'm in right now.
0: Do you think they have, that if they put you in front of the camera, you wanted to, you would have been an actor?
1: No, yeah. I think it would have just at least helped with like speaking in front of crowds. But it's okay because I developed that skill later on. Right. Um, and like not being afraid to be in front of a camera, that would have been helpful. Because mm-hmm. I'm a little still scared of being in front of a camera. I don't it's love
0: intimidating. It. It's so intimidating. Also, because that 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 lens that's looking at you doesn't have any emotion. It's just yeah. this big eye yeah. looking at you. It's a big judgment eye. Yeah. Totally. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I ended up being behind the scenes and like kind of running the show with this other kid, and I was like, oh my god, for the first time in a non-academic, like, I mean, like it was an academic class, but it was, like. I was good at it. Like I did the editing and I I did all the switchboards and the sound and I I was good at it. And I was like, "Oh my god. This is amazing." Like a light bulb turned on. And so uh-huh. after that, aha uh-huh uh-huh. moment. Yeah. And so from there, I I started taking a class in high school. I got into the TV production there and I actually considered quitting. I I was good at other things. I took a photography class and I was like, oh, I'm good at this. I like this. This is fun. I love Photoshop. This is cool. I'm like trying things, new right. things. And I took um, some new art classes and I was like, wow, art is so many different things than what I knew it was. Right. And so I was just kind of like expanding my palette and my like wealth of knowledge.
0: And that contrasted what your mom had kind of taught you, yeah. right? And also a little bit about what Florida taught you.
1: And having exposure to digital mediums, I mean, in the 2000s, that was not common. We were still... We w- we didn't have, like, digital cameras yet. We are still working on film. Like, you still sent off your, you know, click camera. Yeah. Like, you brought it to CVS and you waited for your photos to get printed. The roll-up cameras.
0: Those were legendary. Yeah. They, those made the world like, of difference.
1: And I loved those cameras. But, like, that's what we were working with. And But by the time we got to high school, it wasn't like that anymore, of course. Right. I mean, they still exist now, but... They're not as common in use
0: but if you think about it though you kind of because of your experience you, you've you've gotten now the the traditional mm-hmm. realm of, of mediums to a certain extent yeah. and then you're now starting to explore the the, the digital aspects so yeah. you really uh, have your foot dipped in a few different pools
1: hmm mm-hmm. yeah I took this drawing and, and painting class in high school and my teacher told me you would never be an, that she's like you'll never be an artist what yeah well F you, lady. Because yeah, guess what I'm doing now, bitch.
0: <laughs> yeah. The hell? What's her name? Let's go embarrass her. Uh, to be honest, I'm I don't kidding. Kidding. remember no, her name. No, that's not. I'm, I'm just um, kidding. Let's not disparaging. But it's name. okay
1: because because <laughs> I, I I it's the, one of the only classes I ever got to be in. And it yeah. How? Because I'm just dare not good she? at. I'm just I love cartoon style drawing. And she was like, "It's a still life. Stop outlining everything." And I was like. But it's fun. It looks like pop art. And she's like, that's not the point of the project. It's Baroque art. Don't you understand what Baroque art is? I was like, but why do I have to paint like everybody else? Like, and and it's basically she just didn't understand the concept that art is open for interpretation. Oh, yeah. If you can explain why you did something, then why is it wrong? Why is it bad?
0: And there's no right way to do art.
1: Exactly. And <laughs> she just did not agree.
0: Grade, getting um, a grade in any art class is such a weird thing to me. <clears throat> I know. Well, unless like say you don't, like, turn in your art and you don't or, participate. Or you
1: don't follow the syllabus. Now, if the syllabus specifically says, like, for that assignment, it needs to have this, this, and this, and you're missing those things, right. it's valid. Right. You should get points off. You didn't follow the instructions.
0: But, it's, it's but just, how I
1: paint is not an instruction.
0: Right. It's just, it's so weird. Just like when. Totally. I don't know. I don't know. And that's not to say that art should be an easy A class. No. But what I'm saying does kind of translate that. I'm contradicting myself a little bit. It's
1: just, But I, I understand what you're saying. There's a, medium, yeah.
0: there's, a me, there's a little happy medium there. Yeah, totally. And how to judge that.
1: Yeah. And proper art teachers that are trained in art education recognize that. Right. Sometimes it's really hard when you studied art history in school and then you become an art teacher. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more challenging um, just because you didn't go through that curriculum of learning how to balance that. And that's not to discredit this teacher. Like a lot of people liked her. We just did not click. Um, but it's okay because I found two other teachers. Their names are Miss Adolph and Miss Lunsford. I'm still friends with them on Facebook and <laughs> on LinkedIn. And they kind of challenged me and inspired me to think outside my everyday. Um, and forced me to really, you know, jump through hoops and and experiment and try new things. And they didn't tell me that I was bad. They were like, You're just making something that's different and that's good. Yeah. And I mean, I got a five on the AP exam. Like that's as high as you can get. Pretty and, remarkable. Yeah. And and so I think, and, you know, maybe that was one of the first moments that I could say to myself, I can do this. And then in this, this TV production class, I got all these leadership roles and I was like, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Like I'm good at this. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was so determined in college to make sure I had a film program or go to an art school of some kind that had the opportunities for me and that's what led to the college that i ended up going to which is school of the art institute of chicago um and i graduated into at the um in december of 2018 graduated a semester early because i was like i'm done
0: <laughs> getting the heck, heck out, of out of here, here. now but you did like I was that like, school, i want to be an adult <laughs> right but you did like that no school, it's i not that you it. were trying to get out as, no. as quickly as SCIC possible. seic
1: made me who i am today why is that um I, you know, that's a really hard thing to articulate. Uh I, I came in again as like being really nervous because I had moved across the country. I didn't know anyone who lived in Chicago. I had no family that lived there. And originally I was supposed to go to school in Boston. So it was kind of, and where I had tons of family. So it kind of like really threw me and everyone was like, oh my God, you're moving so far away. Aren't you scared? And at first I was like, no. But as it like came closer, I was like, "I, I, I am scared. Like this is really scary. Like I'm leaving my parents. I've like been away from them before for several weeks, but not for this long and across the country. I'm on my own. Like anything I want to buy, I have to pay for, so I needed to get a job. And I was like, "How do I do this? Like how do I make this happen?" And so it was it was a challenge. It was a learning experience. And SEIC, you know, they do their best to support students in their first year and I really lucked out with having this professor named Cla- Claire Ashley. Um, I absolutely adore her. Um, she was my mentor throughout college. And even when, even though we don't – we she's not even a filmmaker. She's, she's not a photographer. She's not a video maker. Like nothing. Like she's not a sound artist. She's a painter and sculptor. She makes these amazing inflatable sculptures. Inflatable that, sculptures? Yeah. yeah and That's she paints cool. them and they're giant. They're like larger than us. They're like the size of a room. Like a small bedroom. That's how big they are. And she blows them up and then people dance inside of them. What? Like it's the most absurd but amazing thing.
0: inflatable and they're, they're, sculpture and that could host a party? Some of them are like
1: glow in the dark. Like sometimes they like make sounds. And I'm like, this is so amazing.
0: I want to look this up. This sounds amazing. Uh,
1: Claire, honestly, she just challenged everything. And she made me think in ways I never really thought of. And helped me explore areas that I'm really passionate about that I had no idea.
0: So, in other words, she wasn't just a painter, sculptor that made these really cool inflatable items, but she inculcated you. Yeah. She really grew you. I mean... Planted a seed that was really powerful. Yeah, like
1: if you ask her, like, oh, are you an artist? She'll tell you, no, I'm a teacher.
0: Why does she do that?
1: Because... That's who she is. I mean, she is an artist. Right. And she should not identify as not being an artist, but once I one time I interviewed her and she was like, "No, I'm a teacher." And I was like, "Okay, if that's how you want to identify, um because in her blood, like like it just flows through her. Mm-hmm. She gains so much joy from teaching. Like I I interviewed one, her once about how it feels like a light bulb turns on. Like she loves to see emerging artists like the light bulb turns out of oh my god things are things are turning it's like a watch it's everything's turning and, and the time is going and people are thinking and ideas are flowing and she's like that's the most amazing experience to watch and she's also the reason why i want to be a professor and right. like one day i'm gonna write a book and she i'm totally gonna write like a little memoir to her right of like to like the best like teacher i've ever had oh like
0: that's really great
1: had her for a full year and i think that also really helped and then i took another class with her my sophomore year oh yeah and and she also said like these this thing about like failure is okay and i was like what
0: mm-hmm. failure is
1: okay uh-huh. yeah and and it really blew my mind because that's really how art is formed that's how you tell a story that's how you make anything tangible oh yeah is you have to fail so the next time you don't and if you fail again Maybe the next time you won't, but you have to pick yourself back up and grow from whatever you learned from last time.
0: Okay, so she just became my favorite teacher. I've never met her before, but here's the thing is that she chose uh, an important life value over the curriculum that she's been taught because school teaches us that failure is the end-all, be-all, wrong thing to do that will make sure that you never make it. Just like how earlier you said that when you got that B in that class, Mm -hmm. you, you felt like you failed. Yeah. Right, but you know one thing that I've 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 really you know grown fond of, and I talked about this in the R and R episode, in the last episode. If you haven't done that, check that out. But I talked about the value of loving to fail.
1: Mm, Totally.
0: And I need to learn how to love to fail. People need to learn how to love to fail because this is a a trait that if you don't love to fail, you'll be scared to try things, and that's why so many people don't ever make it. Is if you don't try things. It's not going to happen. How are you going to know what does lead to success? Totally. So, yeah. It's
1: just, it's it, 100%. So she, she also told me that, you know, art is is about taking time for yourself. That there are always going to be moments in your life where you're just like, I, I, I can't make anything. I'm not in the right place. And that's also okay to admit that. And, and that helped me honestly a lot after I graduated. I would think about what Claire would say to me. Um... And she was just a really formative part of my first year of college and, and my second year. And I, you know, I ended up after, you know, really having, she just gave, gave me a lot of confidence. And so I started applying for internships and I ended up landing an internship at um, the, um, the Smithsonian Center for Folklife and Cultural Heritage, which was a really amazing learning experience. I was really interested in working in the museum sphere, which I still am, and it kind of gave me, like, a really interesting insight into a government-subsidized institution, Um, and it was, I mean, you know, there were great things and there were bad things, but it really helped me articulate further what I was good at and, like, what I could do and what I was capable of, and I think that kind of sparked everything that I'm doing now, and from there, Um, things just like gears started turning, like light bulbs started turning on. Right. And I think that's really why SAIC for me was such an amazing experience because, I mean, I took classes in all different areas. I mean, that's one of the things that I loved about my college is that, you know, I started in the fashion department because I couldn't get into the film department right away. There wasn't openings in classes. And so I took this class. I can't really say I was good, but I learned how to sew. <laughs> right. And I learned how to embroider and I learned how to design and I learned to have a deeper appreciation for a field of art that I always wanted to learn more about.
0: Isn't that isn't that funny how that works sometimes when you go into a class that has no relation to what you want to do? Mm-hmm. But sometimes that just becomes your favorite thing.
1: Yeah. It, I really loved it though. Right. If you put in the time and the effort, you were going to pass. Mm-hmm. Like in your art classes, for example. If you did all of the work and it was seen that you were giving your all, how can that teacher judge you if you don't have the skill set yet? Exactly. Especially in beginner-level classes. I mean, it was an intro class. So I took these motion graphics classes, and that got me into animation, and I tried rotoscoping for the first time. And, wow. and then I took an experimental like narrative class, and that was an amazing experience. And then I, and then I took screenwriting. And that's when the real like light bulb turned on.
0: Why, why screenwriting?
1: Well, for a really long time, I... I Thought I wanted to be a screenwriter. Um, and, you know, I still think that's a passion of mine, but I don't think it's my only profession that I'll pursue. But I think it's really because the act of storytelling. It was the first time that I really saw a tangible story in my hands that I had to craft.
0: The most pure form of telling a story. Absolutely. Because before, like, your first form of storytelling, as you just said, was dance. Yeah. Right. Kinda. Yeah. Kinda I mean, like, like I had made bit. I yeah. had made
1: short films mm-hmm. and you know, there's always a script, but they were never really written properly. Right. And and I had taken a screenwriting class when I was in high school at the local college and I loved it too. And that Aww. was that was like, oh my God. Gears were turning, like things were happening. And I was like, wow, absolutely. I could be good at this. And so I took this class and this teacher I just genuinely connected with John Petracas and he was he's a film critic in Chicago. And I, I mean, I just—it was the first time I learned how to really analyze a story. Yeah. And take it apart and put it back together and understand why, like, a, like a writer would decide to do something.
0: So it really sounds like you've approached storytelling from a very eclectic approach. Yes. Just completely. Yeah.
1: For me, storytelling is not just one medium of art or one thing. Um. For me, being a storyteller is, you know, I'm a photographer. I'm a documentary filmmaker. Sometimes I dabble in regular <laughs> narrative fiction work. Um, and and sometimes I write. And sometimes I create little stories. And sometimes I draw. And, and sometimes I do sound work. And all of those things all have to do with telling a story. Right. For me. I have a really hard time, like, identifying as just one thing. And so for me, storytelling encompasses all of those things. And that's why I identify as being a storyteller the most. When someone asks like, what are you? I'm like, I'm a storyteller. And it's truly because all of my work surrounds about telling a story, whether it's the act of how that image or sound is created is the story, or it's the story that's told after the creation and how it helps emphasize a story or it helps bring together a story. Mm-hmm. All of it is in the act of storytelling. So even if it's oral storytelling like what I'm doing right now that's uh, doing giving an interview that's what you're doing. You're, right. you're a storyteller. Right. Because um, you're sharing insight into your life. I also feel like storytelling is like revealing memories like they're like mm-hmm. these fleeting moments. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times that's what my work is about is this fleeting moment that I'm trying to capture and just like put into a little bubble and then When it, like, becomes, like, the work is done, then it's popped. (laughs) And, like, everyone can see it. Or maybe they can't. Maybe it was just that moment that you you could experience it. I think that really expanded with starting in that screenwriting class and then moving into I took this weird cinematic sound class and I was like I should probably learn about sound I didn't really expect to be good at it but my goal at college was to try everything in w- the film department
0: I was gonna say that was kind of your, your the sound has become your big staple and that's such a big contrast from what your first attitude was yeah. about it
1: yeah I really wasn't into it um right. Like, I used to be like, who gives a crap about sound? Yeah, I was like, visual, visual, visual. <laughs>
2: and let
1: me clarify. I am i feel like I'm pretty decent at photography. Like, I identify as a photographer. But I am no ways a cinematographer. Right. Like, I wish I was. You know, I have all these aspirations for being a badass cinematographer. But the truth is, is that I'm just not. But I'm really good at crafting an image. And so I have the eye for it. I'm just not a cinematographer. And that's okay. And that's something that college also taught me. And just being on the job and experience. But this class, this cinematic sound class, um, I'm going to give another shout out to a professor, an artist, Julia Miller. She is this like amazing... like She's a sound designer. And she's also a musician. She, when, when she was my professor, she was producing a rock opera at the time.
0: A rock opera. Yeah. That's and, so cool. Yeah, this class is... That's was, so cool. She,
1: she's just like an eclectic human being. <laughs> she really... Inspired me in ways that I hadn't really thought about film before Mm -hmm. and I think that's the best part Is I was really looking at film from the perspective of someone who only cared about sound She was like who gives two craps about the visual stop looking at it. We would watch feature films With no visual We would just sit there and listen and she'd be like, what do you think is happening right now? Write it down because the visual Yeah, it's telling you a story, but so is the sound Right. Really take a, li- like, take a listen and figure out what you think all of those sounds actually are. And I had never really thought of doing that. I was mm-hmm. like, why would I close my eyes in a movie? Mm-hmm. The whole point is to watch said movie. Right. But when you're forced to, you're like, okay. And when you close your eyes and you just listen, you start creating a movie in your brain.
0: That brings up a hypothetical. If you go into a movie but you close your eyes the entire time, should you get half off your movie? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: um, I don't know if they would appreciate that. Um, but,
0: but this is a good segue because I I know that you constructed a game for me as well as the audience to kind of play. Yes, I did. Yeah.
1: So part of this class was you know learning how to play with sounds and guessing what you thought they were, just from like random objects and things, um, because that's also what Foley is. Is you know it's fakery. It's how do you, you know, make an itty-bitty sound become exaggerated from, like, a zipper mm-hmm. to the ocean to walking on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. You know, any task, something that might be happening in a film, um, or even if you're doing oral storytelling. If you ever listen to NPR and they do their storytelling segments, I mean, they do the same thing. They they add Foley right. to help tell the story. Right. and Or if you've listened to an audiobook. Audiobooks do it all the time. Yeah. Um, and so... I kind of found this like niche thing that I was like, I like this. Right. This is fun.
0: It is fun. And they it, had a, they yeah. had a fully stage at my school too. Oh my god, I had such a blast yeah. putting together like sound work and whatnot. Oh my god, totally. It was, great. It was so great.
1: Yeah. So um, so Chaz yes. is going to put on a blindfold, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna ask the audience. You you don't have to put on a blindfold. This is not necessary because you can't see me. But just just you know. Close your eyes. Okay. I'm putting on my blindfold. Uh, Putting on the blindfold. Give me a second. Okay. Okay, it's on. And Chaz is going to verbally, we're going to, you know, take five seconds, listen to the sound, and then Chaz is going to say what he thinks it sounds like.
0: Being blindfolded, I totally just ran into the microphone, but. (laughs) (laughs) Hold Um, on. Okay, there there it is. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Okay, I saw you pouring a cup of water into a, another cup. Okay. Like a, like pouring a water a pitcher yeah. of water into a cup.
1: So that's that's a good, you know. Um that's a good one. Okay. I also thought of peeing. Like right, not I to was, be like graphic, oh, but yeah. like no, I
0: was, I was totally it. it
1: sounds like peeing. <laughs> I didn't
0: know how inappropriate I was allowed to be. So so yes. <laughs> well I, I, I mean
1: in Foley, I it mean it's everything. Okay, in reality. fine. So
0: you know what I really thought? I thought of like that that cartoon of Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes with his with his shorts <laughs> down all the way, peeing into a bush, <laughs> grinning evilly at you. Have you seen that that little like cartoon uh, graphic? It's great.
1: I, I I know what you're talking about. So that's yeah.
0: the sound I hear when I see Calvin peeing in a bush. Okay. Okay. So, got it.
1: All right. Next sound.
0: <laughs> okay. Next sound. Okay. Like maybe like you're carrying like a metal box and there's like mm-hmm. a there's like a very lightweight metal tool in it or something that that's like being like yeah kind of. I was thinking
1: a bit. um a you know wind chime.
0: Yeah, a little bit, a little bit.
1: You know that like sound when the wind is like slowly blowing. Yeah. And it kind of okay. gets that like little. No, no, no. Yeah, mm, yeah. Kind of vibration and a little okay. bit of the rubbing against each other.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: So that's what I was thinking of. Okay. Um. There's also let's see, if I can, if I can do this.
0: Is it the sound? No. That's oh, me. okay. <laughs>
1: What about what about this
0: one? All right, let's do it. I hear like two things, and in, in like, cause there's there's two different like physical motions you're making here. The first one I'm thinking like, almost sounds like a someone's chewing on something, like really like seedy. Which I think is what it is. I think it's seeds. But then the second thing is almost sounds like a footstep. You know, mm-hmm. like like a, like a gravelly road or something? Mm-hmm. That's a good sound, though. It's like some good ASMR.
1: Yeah. You know, actually, I tend to use rice or seeds okay. in a container when I'm trying to create an ocean. Okay. Um, let's see. What else do I have in my little pile of shenanigans?
0: So I, I don't know what you're scraping, but it sounds like it could be like you're cutting through something like a light metal
2: mm-hmm.
0: or like maybe grinding on it. Mm-hmm. It's a good sound though. Like maybe sharpening a knife.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe that's the sound there. Or. Uh, yeah, like maybe like
1: like a whisk yeah like a whisk like, yeah, like, a like whisk. when you're yeah, yeah like when you you're you are baking yeah, when someone's you're like, baking yeah even though it doesn't really make that sound it sounds super natural when you pair with it right ironically
0: by the way I'm still blindfolded I've never been blindfolded this long on my own show before so I could totally be taking advantage of right now <laughs> she probably has like three friends of hers that have been waiting for this opportunity this whole time like stealing stuff from my room this is good this is good guys okay what's, what's your next tool? what's your next tool you thief You know, I know that sound by heart. That's the sound of tinfoil. But I, I would say, though, if if you did that long enough, I could almost convince myself that that is um, like rain pitter-pattering on the window. Yeah. Yeah, I like that.
1: So this is actually really common for rain. If you get a big enough sheet and you have two people standing there just kind of wiggling it very lightly, it starts to... Starts to Get you to feel that yeah, a little bit.
0: Yeah, I feel that.
1: It's a fun little trick there. That's a nice... Tin foil. That's a nice calming... Or if you want to, like, have the sound of, like, a car crashing, like, you can play with tin foil and make so many sounds.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Or if, like, someone's, like, crinkling paper up...
0: Yeah, I can hear the paper. It's a good dramatic sound.
1: Like, tin foil is the tool. That right. and plastic wrap I actually use often.
0: Okay, okay.
1: And that's all I got in my, my box of toys. That's
0: cool. I'm going to take this off now. Yeah, oh, you can take off the blindfold. I missed light for a second there. When I when I did Foley in, in college, I remember like, so we had like, if you lifted up like one of the platforms on our Foley stage, mm-hmm. it had a sand pit.
2: Mm-hmm. It had
0: an even finer sand pit. It had like a like a woodchuck pit, mm-hmm. like just full of wood, wood chips. And uh, I think just like a pure cement yeah. Like cement pit. Yeah. That all like for different on. types of walking. All for different types of like walking and footsteps. And then we had all these random odd and end props like 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 half of a pair of shoes were in there. Yeah. And then like oh god there was there were so many fun things. Yeah. But I remember um one of the really cool assignments that we had from our our sound design teacher his name was Dan Olmstead really great guy he his big claim to fame is that he actually remastered all the audio for the Godfather series his company wow. did. Because apparently, uh, Coppola, when he went to go remaster it, even though it was a masterpiece of film, he had a laundry list of things that he wanted fixed for the remastering. Like, he was not satisfied when mm-hmm. it was originally came out. And so, remastering it, uh, Dan Olmsted's team worked on it. But I remember Dan Olmsted assigned me and a, and a small uh, group of students to pick a an existing movie clip that already exists mm-hmm. and to completely remake all the audio from it. Not not the dialogue. He didn't mm-hmm. want us to do ADR, which stands for uh additional dialogue recording. He didn't want us to do ADR. He wanted us to do uh full all the foley work.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
0: are there are certain sounds that you can't get without certain items being there. For example, a car engine. Yeah. Which you can. But there was one sound that I was very proud of myself for figuring out how to do. The sound was so we took um, a scene from Legend of Korra, mm-hmm. the the spinoff of Avatar: mm-hmm. The Last Airbender, and there's a scene where uh, you see Korra, who is the avatar, blow fire from her hand, mm-hmm. like as a flamethrower, right? So what does a flamethrower sound like? And you can't just Shh. right, but you can't just get like like a water rushing sound like yeah. what you just did, and you can't just get a simple fireplace sound because that's yeah. gonna look cheesy. So I really had to think about it, and I realized, oh my god, I'm an idiot. You know what fire, what a flamethrower is? It's just cause cause fire fire needs this one thing. It's just the, the blowing of air. Mm-hmm. It might as well be called a fire blower, which I think is actually a nickname for for a flamethrower. So literally, I'm gonna make a sound right now into this microphone, and everyone listening on this is gonna hate me for three seconds. But just hear me out. This sound, if you take this sound and you just do some simple distortions to it, like you make the sound more wet, add a certain reverb. It gives you a really cool flamethrower sound. Just a simple, like that, like that, that will make a flamethrower sound, mm-hmm. like just like that. And I know that I just totally like ruined everyone's ear, like headphones on, on the other end. Everyone's speaker. No, speakers. but I
1: actually totally understand because that's what it is in films.
0: That's what it is. It's just it's just someone blowing into a microphone. Yeah. And I thought that was just so cool, and I I figured that out.
1: Yeah, I I'm a obviously I'm a big fan. Right. And it kind of just sparked this like upward you know, path for me um, with storytelling and kind of expanded into like, how do I tell a story without a visual? Mm -hmm. Um, And our final was like, okay, take a film that you're making and, and do all the foley work and the sound work for it. And I was like, can I not? Can I just like make a story with just sound? And my teacher was like, that sounds like an amazing challenge. And that turned into my thesis project. And so for a year and a half, I just recorded all of these experiences.
0: You came to LA. After SAIC?
1: Um, not directly.
0: Not directly. Yeah. What was in between some, there?
1: I didn't make a lot of work because I was in a really bad headspace. Um, what was, was that? You know, when you graduate college, I can't say for everyone, but for me, I, I was, I left this amazing, immersive artist environment. And suddenly I was back living in my parents' house in, in a new place because they had moved to Texas and I'm not from there. And I'd never lived there before. So I'm moving to this new house, this new place. And I was like, this is kind of scary. And my brother had just moved back in as well um, because he had transferred to a different college in Texas. And I was just feeling really like not bad about myself. Like it wasn't bad that I was doing this choice. It's just like I was just ready for the next step already. And it wasn't there. And I needed to take this time, but I didn't want to take the time. It was a lot of just, like, waiting. I was, like, just the summer, 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 summer. And I had gotten this acceptance to this fellowship, the Outdoor Film Fellowship. Um, and, like, it was a big deal because Celine Cousteau is on the board of directors. And, like, I mean, like, that's a big deal. And and I was, like, okay, I've got things happening. I just need summer to happen. I just need it to be summer so I can work on this film. And, like, things are going to happen for me. And this internship was a great experience, some great networking Um, with this company called StoryFit, so that kind of helped. But I was really ready to, like, be working. And I I couldn't get hired in L.A. because I didn't live there. Like, I didn't live here yet. And no one wants to hire someone that is only available in August. Right. So it was like I just had to wait, and it sucked. And so I finally did this fellowship, and that was, like, at first it was pretty challenging just because I hadn't really been making work. And I was jumping right back in. And they had, all of the, like, board members had boasted me up as being, like, super amazing. And, like, made me f- seem like I was, like, the best. And I was like, no, there's so much for me to learn. I, so I came in pretending to be this super confident person. And in reality, that was, like, the worst thing I could have done. Because then the, like, people that were, like, the mentors were like, well, then I don't need to teach her. If she thinks she knows everything, then I won't teach her. And so I was in this program. And I wasn't learning, and that sucked.
0: That's difficult.
1: Yeah. And I'm watching everyone else get all these amazing experiences, and I'm like, hey, when are we going to talk about editing or sound? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, we're talking about cameras right now. And you said you already know everything. But that's not so. an answer. I met this amazing mentor, Jenny Nichols, and she's affiliated with Nat Geo and Sea Legacy and all of these like different nonprofits that I'm super invested in and want to be a part of as part of my career and doing like wildlife filmmaking myself and ethnography work. And, and as well as another mentor, Thomas Woodson, um, who's also an outdoor filmmaker, the two of them really, you know, all of them, they really shaped the experience and it wasn't necessarily the film, but it was the people, a part of it. And the subject of our film, Mackenzie McGrath, um, this film that we made, um, and I guess I'll do a little feel about it. Um, It's called Life for My Family. Um, So it's about how to honor a loved one um, while coping with their absence. And so it follows the story of Mackenzie McGrath and the loss of her brother, um, her older brother, to cancer. It really is about life for my family and how Mackenzie's life completely changed. And all of her wants and perspectives completely changed after the death of her brother wow and um
0: yes i've um, seen i've seen one cut of it
1: yeah you've seen like it's not a final final cut but it's like one of the final cuts right
0: and it's gonna be so good yeah Uh, it's it's just it's so well made i love it i love
1: it it was a great learning experience and now you know i have these great professional contacts um that i know are definitely going to benefit me in the future and i'm really excited for like where we go from here
0: that's amazing yeah i i think that's so incredible yeah. so after you completed that documentary though this fellowship mm-hmm. in Colorado um did you come to LA right away after that or yeah, yeah.
1: so I I immediately from the fellowship <clears throat> from Den like we drove into Denver because um, we were in Breckenridge for two weeks and then we were in Boulder for like a week two and a half weeks um I flew from Denver to LA and then dropped off all my camera gear and sound equipment and then stayed for like three days and that's when we met. And Mm -hmm. then I flew back to Texas, and then um, I drove across country with my mom and my cat in the back of my car. That's so great. (laughs) Um, My Honda Accord, Diana, is her name, my car's name. Because she's a
0: princess, that's why. Yes,
1: yes. Yeah, we drove across country in my wonky old 2006 Honda Accord.
0: I feel like that's a story in itself.
1: yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um we we stopped we stopped in like really specific places that i had never been before with mm-hmm, my mom and mm-hmm. um, the two of us had never been and so we went to albuquerque new mexico and weirdly enough every single radio station was in spanish like i get it but i was like this got kind of fun right. like we had to listen to something in spanish we had no choice right and so we're listening to like some like amazing like mexicana like music sure. and super fun and popping. and oh, i was yeah. like spanish
0: music mean, is great
1: It was awesome. I loved it. It actually reminded me of my time working at Smithsonian because my museum had, that museum had their own recording studio and recording label. And some of the music, like musicians were from Mexico and I got to see some of them perform live and they were so good. And so it kind of was reminiscent of that experience. And then we, and then we get to Arizona and, um, we go to Sedona and then we do a bunch of hiking and we went on this hike that we thought was a mile. It ended up being like six or seven.
0: Oh my god! <laughs> um, and we
1: didn't bring the appropriate amount of water.
0: Oh my god! In
1: August, no, and it's like midday.
0: Where's the cat in all this? Formula? So okay,
1: so my cat did not come with me hiking in Sedona. So we dropped him off at the hotel. And he stayed there. So that, that part was good. But okay, But before good. we, when we're, I'm sorry, before we got to Sedona, yeah. he did go hiking with me in one of the national parks.
0: Wow. How was that? Um, was, so was he on a leash? We were in like or... Walnut
1: Tree National Park or something. Was he it's... on a
0: leash or in the backpack? No, or... so I have a
1: cat backpack. A cat backpack. Yeah. Okay. And so he's sitting there and I'm in the park and I'm hiking and people are passing by and they're like, is that a cat? Is that a and cat? And then people are like, no, no, it's a cat. It's a, no, that's a cat. <laughs> I'm like, every single time, every person is. What's in our backpack? Well, you should have lied. A you should
0: have lied and said, Yeah, I found him on the trail. <laughs>
1: he's a snake. <laughs> I got a snake. You want a rattlesnake? Yeah. You're you down?
0: It's feral. You want it? <laughs> Selling it right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, so my cat he's just looking around like bug-eyed. Like my mom has tons of photos, so do I. I'm my cat being like, Hello, I'm a cat. I'm not meant to be here. <laughs> um, he didn't meow. He just got in the backpack.
0: Just
2: very quiet. It's quietly. too hot
1: because i don't want to leave him in the car it's way too hot. Oh yeah, that would so, kill him. That would kill him. Yeah, exactly. So of course he's coming with us and we weren't gone out we weren't outside very long. We'd right. hike for maybe like 30 40 minutes and then go back to the car.
2: Oh yeah.
1: Um so that was like a fun experience at Walnut Tree and then <laughs> yeah. And then from there um yeah, then we went into Sedona and we did some hiking for a day. Um uh, we went and like did Devil's Peak or something. It's, like, this weird crest, like... I
0: think I've heard of it.
1: ...peak where, like, there's this point where, like, the cliff ends in a sense, but, like, there's still rock that connects to another part, another weird... I don't know how to explain it. Okay. Yeah, but people should look it up. It's really scary. You look down and, all like, you're just walking across a platform that there's nothing below it. It's literally like you're walking across a bridge made of rock. Like, it's not man-made. Oh, that's scary. It's, like, yeah, it's literally, like, it could crumble. Right. Anytime.
0: Anytime. And
1: and my cousin and I were like uh, like my mom uh um yeah, my cousin Sam was with me. My cousin Sam and I were like, Okay, we should do it. We should do it. Uh,
2: <laughs> did you do it? And,
1: yeah, we did it. So oh we went and like we took pictures. That's scary. And, and we're like, yeah, we did it. We did this awesome hike. But that you didn't, we didn't jump on to. it. You didn't
0: jump on it and no, test it. Oh
1: no. No. <laughs> yeah, and like there's all these people up there like drinking, everyone's drinking their white claws, and it was really funny.
0: Did you ever see they have like like glass bridges? Like I think yeah. they call them like floating. Like, yeah. what are the invisible there's, bridges?
1: I think, I know there's one in China somewhere. There's one in
0: China. They're. There's one in uh, the is? Grand Canyon. Oh, okay. Yeah, where you can walk and it just, it's just a, a U-shaped oh, bridge that leads you to cool. the same place. But it gives you that opportunity to do that. And a lot of people don't make it to the edge of the U on the other end of that because they're so scared. They just, like, they, they get, like, all weak in the knees, <laughs> have this vertigo moment looking straight down to, like, what would have been their death.
1: Yeah, it's scary. It's very it's scary. It's very scary. Yeah. Um, But I'm a little bit of a daredevil, I think. Um, From Sedona, um, then we drove <laughs> the rest of Arizona, and then we got to Joshua Tree. But, you know, the park ranger was like, just be careful. Like, don't bring out any water. Keep it in your car. Like, the bees are attracted to moisture, so you need to be really careful. And we were like, okay, well, I don't know. Probably fine, I guess. Like, I'm just kind of grumbling about it. Like, all right, whatever. So we get out and we we, we follow the instructions from the park ranger because we don't want to get hurt. And then I start to see some some bees. I'm like, okay, whatever. It's fine. And then, like, I start to see some bees. Like, I mean, wow. Oh, and no. And they start hovering under our car. And I'm like, oh, crap. They're hovering
0: under yeah, the car? Yeah, they hover under the
1: car because it's not as hot under the car.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So we do the little hike and Storm's in my backpack. It was, like, the most – one of the scariest things because I'm, like, I don't want to get stung. Yeah. It hurts. Yeah. And these are, like, giant bees. They're not, like, little tiny ones. They're, like, these big fluffy freakers. Like, <laughs> oh, my God.
0: I think that's the the official species they are, fluffy <laughs> freakers. Okay, go on.
1: <laughs> and um, they're just – they're everywhere. It's, like, it's just, it's, they're swarming. And they're, and they're on everyone's cars. There's so many. And so – we had to basically, like, throw Storm in the backpack, like, in my car. Like, we didn't throw him, but we had to, like, literally, like, quick, go, no, no. and so And um, so my mom is carrying him in front of her, like, in the backpack. Oh, my and God. And so she's like, okay, ready, ready, ready. And so I open the door. She hops in, and I close it really quick. And then I'm like, okay, 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 my turn. And I'm like, like, like building up the courage, building up the courage because we didn't want the bees to get in the car either right, right. because then we're screwed. Yeah. Um, and we can't open the windows. And it's like this whole thing. So long story short, we got in. We were fine. But it was like one of the most scary moments of oh, this yeah. trip of being like, oh, my God, we're going to die.
0: But it sounds like you had some really tremendously awesome times mm-hmm. traveling to L.A. Then you got to L.A.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's been quite a pursuit, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, you know, I've had some ups and downs. I I did do a piece working with Sesame Workshop, um, which is affiliated with Sesame Street, mm-hmm. um, but not like necessarily. It's like part of their like nonprofit programs. They like do a lot of fun like funding for like special projects that deal with like ethnography and like helping the community. Um, and you know, I I also had been working on the film, um, the documentary that I worked on this summer that I was on set for, but then I was editing, and then just trying to get situated and like get myself in a position to like be successful and like figure out what's next because my what's next was like move to LA move to LA Mm
2: -hmm. and I was
1: like I don't know what's next and I think over the past several months I've like finally gotten to this point where I can articulate that um and so I've got some like I've been doing some like applications for funding and for new projects and I've got some ideas and things I want to do Um, I really want to do this project called, I, I've labeled it, I am you and it's a working title. Um, that's kind of this like documentary that, that travels across the U S that articulates the identity of what it is to be American in 2020, but also how everyone is connected. That even though everyone can be so different, the one thing that is uniquely like collective is that all of these people identify as being an American that's like my next like passion project and I want it to be a film but I also want it to be like a sound slash like photography installation exhibit along with the film.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: That's kind of where I see it going is like being a traveling exhibit. I also want to make some work about like being in California and like the wildlife and the environment and talking about climate change and so I think you know, my work has really taken a 180 from college, I'd say, in some ways, but I think that's also the point of college is what you make in college is not what you necessarily going to make the rest of your life.
0: Absolutely. The and, persona you take yeah. on in college
1: is just not who you're going to be the rest of your life. Yeah. And you know, all of these experiences really led to that. And so I'm, I'm really excited to be in this like new stage. And I, I now work at Otis College of Art and Design. And I'm getting into the sphere of academia through a professional setting, not through as like a student. And I really see myself growing within this community. And I love working for an art school. I mean, I went to one. Like I thrive, like I feel like who I am as a person really blends well with this college. And I have a really great mentor And I work with really awesome peers and, um, and the students, I mean, they're inspiring in itself. And I think like, that's the best part
0: from the personal accounts that you've told me. I I think that that, I think that what you just said is very authentic and very true that that's not just something that you're saying. It's something very real because every time I see you come home from work, even if it's a stressful day, mm-hmm. there's a party that still seems invigorated. It didn't yeah. take the life out of you. It gave you more life because totally. you came back and you feel stronger because of it. Yeah. And these people inspire you. I think that's so important. Yeah. So congratulations to you. And I'm going to also give a preemptive congratulations to all the work that you're going to be doing because all okay. the work that you just described that you want to do has a very beautiful message That is not only good and powerful, Mm -hmm. but relevant. Totally. And that's so important right now is to have something relevant and in the know and something progressive. I think it's very important. If someone on the other end right now listening to this podcast wanted to contact you, what is the best way to reach out?
1: I always respond to my emails a lot faster than text messages. Um, So that's really the best way to get in contact with me. So my email is Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y, at Shelly.com. And then D is in Davis, V is in Victor.com. My website is ShellyDV.com.
0: Now, Shelly, I have to ask you the question that I ask everyone on this podcast. And I know you don't like this question. Yeah. But if you'll oblige me. Uh-huh. Shelly Davis, what will you be famous for?
1: <sighs> yeah, it is really hard for me to answer this question because I actually don't really think in terms of what am i going to be famous for but um if i'm required to articulate this and say it you are um um, i feel like i identify more with the word success but if i'm going to be known i i really strongly think it's going to be for being an interdisciplinary like storyteller an artist
0: Ah, amazing thank you for coming onto the show